words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our God. Amen. Well, this week and next, we're going to be looking at the message of Hosea. I do not know, quite know what the 11 o'clock service congregation have done to deserve me preaching two weeks in a row, so I apologize for that. For those of you who don't know where the book of Hosea is in the Bible, it's two books before Obadiah. Um, it's actually on page 900, if you would like to follow it. And this really is a two-part sermon, and I do say that in all seriousness, because today is heavy. We are looking at the message of judgment, and I really do urge you to come back next week, or if you're not able to come back next week, to read it uh, on the web and to read what I'm saying there. We know very little about Hosea's background, he was the son of a person called Beeri, and basing on the list of kings mentioned in verse 1, he prophesied for about 40 years. He comes from the north. If you remember, the kingdom of Israel had been divided into two. The southern part, where Jerusalem was, was called Judah. The northern part, the capital of which was Samaria, was, confusingly for us, called Israel. Uh, and Hosea is preaching to the north, to, Hosea, to, to Israel. And Israel at the time was the powerful economic powerhouse of the two. It overshadowed the south. But if we know little about Hosea's background, we do learn a bit about his personal life from chapter 1. He marries Gomer. He has at least three children. We know that Gomer is unfaithful to him and leaves him for someone else. The someone else abuses her, and we next find her abandoned in the slave market, about to be sold as a slave. The reason that we know this is because Hosea is not only called to preach a message from God to the people, but his personal life is to be an illustration of the message. And his immediate message is pretty devastating. God is going to abandon his people in Israel because of their sin, and devastation is about to come. And in this first chapter, we're given an insight into the sin of the people of Israel. Their sin is described in three ways, as unfaithfulness, as violence, and as idolatry. Sin is unfaithfulness. This is the big message of Hosea. God loves the people of Israel, but the people of Israel have been unfaithful to him. As you're probably aware, last summer I did some reading and thinking about love. What precisely is love? And rather to my surprise, I came up with a working definition of love. It's strongly based on the book of the Song of Solomon, also on Hosea, and the writings of some of the early church thinkers. Love begins with a right vision. 
It is when we see someone or something as created by God, and it is to delight in them, both in who they are, but also in what they can become. And love is not only to delight in them, but it's also to desire them, to desire a union with them in an appropriate way to who they are. So husband and wife delight in one another and they desire one another physically, emotionally and spiritually. Two friends can delight in each other and have a right desire for union with each other. Not that deep physical union of husband and wife, but a union of emotion and spirit. The New Testament speaks quite a bit about the shape of this sort of soul union, this soul friendship, this love. Or a parent loves their child. They delight in their child, but they know that before they can completely love their child, their child has to become a fully grown adult. So part of their love for their child is to grow the child, to release that child, in order that one day, maybe not till eternity, they will be able to have full soul union with the person who was once their biological son and daughter, but who is now, like them, a full and equal child of God. The language that God uses in Hosea for his love for the people of Israel is the language of the most profound illustration of love, of marriage love. God loves the people as a loving husband loves his wife. He has lavished blessings on her. But despite his love and his blessing, the people of Israel have been unfaithful to him. So God commands Hosea, go marry an unfaithful woman and have children by her, for the people of Israel are like an adulterous wife. He marries Gomer, and then she deserts him. Hosea says, God, I don't want you to only preach this message. I want you to feel this message. I want, when you preach, for you to know my pain and hurt and jealousy when the people who I love turn from delighting in me, from trusting me, from longing for me, from living with me, to delighting instead in other gods and in the things that I gave them in my love for them. I do not, don't know whether you realize this, but when we do not delight in God, when we walk away from him, when we don't trust him, when we forget him because we think we have more important things to do, when we ignore his promises and turn our backs on him, it is as if we are walking out on our partner because we've either become bored with them or because we think we've found someone who we think will make us feel better. And I'm aware my talking like this may bring up some very painful memories for people here. Some of you will have walked out on relationships, maybe for justifiable reasons, maybe not. Others will have had people who walked out on them. I'm not asking you to revisit those times. What has happened has happened, and God is always the God of the new start. 
We'll see that next week. But we are being asked to remember a little of what we felt. The confusion, the anger, the sense of betrayal, but most of all, most of all, the pain. Either the pain you felt or the pain that you know you caused someone else. That pain, says God, is like my pain when you turn away from me. And please note, God is here actually speaking to people who already are believers. They are within the covenant. They are people to whom he has shown his love, to whom he has given his promises and his blessings. He is speaking to people who have made a commitment, prayed the prayer, been born again, tasted the Spirit, but who have now, for whatever reason, turned their back on him. Maybe it was just too much hard work. Maybe we were being mocked. Maybe other seemingly more attractive things came in and we drifted away. Maybe what was once a relationship of love and intimacy is in danger of drifting into a relationship of formality. The greatest command of the Bible is not the command to worship God. It's not the command to obey God or to serve God. The greatest command is the command to love God with everything. So sin, says Hosea, is unfaithfulness to God. Secondly, sin is disobedience. We're on more familiar territory here. James writes, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. And Hosea is called to name his first child Jezreel because God says, I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. Now Jezreel was a royal city in Israel that had become synonymous with violence and particularly the violence of rulers. It was the place where Ahab and Jezebel had murdered Naboth. It was the place where Jehu had then carried out his rebellion against Ahab and Jezebel and slaughtered not only them, not only their family, but also their friends. So Jezreel had become a symbol for everything that the people of Israel did, which broke the commands of God. You see, when people forget or reject the idea that God loves them, they ignore his commands. They twist his laws to their own advantage. They either think that they're doing quite well keeping some of them, and they turn them into heavy burdens which they place on others, or they ignore them and live for themselves. If the king wants a vineyard and someone stands in his way, then that someone is eliminated. Again, please remember that Hosea is speaking to people who God had chosen and called. He is speaking to people who were part of the community of believers. These verses do not fundamentally speak to the people out there. These verses speak to you and to me. We are guilty of disobedience because we know what God would have us do, love him and love our neighbor as ourself. And yet we do not live that way, and maybe we don't even seek to live that way. Thirdly, sin is idolatry. The name of Hosea's second child is Lo Ruhama, which means not loved. 
And God says, I'll save Judah, but I won't save Israel. I'll save the south, but I won't save the north. And I will save the south, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. The implication is that Israel have been looking to their military might as their saviour. They had turned it into their God. By the way, uh, the actual original talk of this is quite a lot longer because I include quite a number of different references. So if you do want to go and see those references, they're on the web version. When we do put our ultimate trust in things that are not God, that is idolatry. It's about worshipping something or someone who is not God. And woe to the church. Woe to the church when we put our trust in individuals, in popes, archbishops, church leaders or speakers. Woe to us when we put our trust in structures or courses or strategies or particular ways of preaching the Bible. Woe to us when we put our trust in buildings. We need to hear that. Woe to us in celebrity believers or in numbers. I've been around the block enough times to be rightly sceptical when people say, this is the thing that will save the church. There is no thing that will save the church. The only one who can save the church is God. And he will save the church as people in the church hunger and seek after him. What is the most important thing for you? The key word there are the most. What is the compulsion which drives you? Is it the desire to make more money, to have a quiet life, to have a family or partner, to gain respect, to do what you enjoy and to satisfy your physical desires, to do something that will bring you glory? Those things are your idols and they need to be brought under the rule of Jesus Christ. Do not allow yourself to settle. Do not even begin to think of becoming comfortable until you are driven first and foremost by love for God and love for neighbour and by our desire to see the kingdom of God established in our life and in the place where God has put us. So sin in Hosea is unfaithfulness, it is disobedience, it is idolatry. The consequence of sin here is devastating. It's devastating for the land. Hosea is one of the most environmentally aware prophets. He sees the connection between the sin of the people and the destruction of the land. In Hosea chapter 4 verse 3 he says, because, all, because of all this the land mourns and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. It's devastating because of what's going to happen to Israel. God is going to be to them like a ravaging lion. He will tear them in pieces. Politically, Israel is going to be overwhelmed and utterly destroyed by the Assyrians. The roar of battle, we're told, he says, will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. As Shalmon devastated Beth Arbel on the day of battle when mothers were dashed to the ground with their children, thus will it happen to you because your wickedness is great. 
In that psalm, Psalm 137, where the people said, by the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept. That was part of the consequence. The people, this is actually the people of the south, were, were taken into exile. It was, it was devastating, it is devastating. But we need to realise that the devastation coming on Israel was not God having a hissy fit because people are walking out on him. It's not the scorned lover screwing his ex for as much as he can get out of her as an act of revenge. Although if that was God's motive, who could blame him? But that is not God's motive. God's anger against his people is in fact an expression of his love for them. He has bound himself to them. He is jealous, not only for himself, but for them. Because he loves them, he cannot bear to see them go with someone else who actually intends to harm them and to destroy them. And in the end, because they persist in rejecting him, do you notice the name of the final child? Lo Ami, not my people. God is saying to the people of Israel, even though I love you, even though I've bound myself to you, because you have chosen to reject my love, I will let you go. You are not my people, and I am not your God. I said at the beginning, and this is really, really important, I need you to hear this, that this is the first of a two-part sermon on Hosea. There really, it does, this really does need to be continued. There is much, much more to be said. Notice I focused on the first nine verses of this book, and it will be said next week. But today, and forgive me for this, I want to leave us with this thought. Sin is not a game. Sin is not a game. It has consequences, natural and eternal. Those words, you are not my people and I am not your God, are the final dreadful consequence of continued sin. They should shake us to the very core of our being. We are separated from the God who loves us. We file for divorce from God. And eventually, God concedes. Those words are the acknowledgement of our created freedom. God says to us, if that's what you want, then ultimately, even though it breaks my heart, I will let you go. But they are also the final terrifying declaration of our eternal destruction.